Hello and welcome to Plant Crimes, the spookiest botanical podcast you can listen to for free on your podcast app. Today we're hearing from Dr. Nina Marie Lister. She's an associate professor at the School of Urban and Regional Planning at Ryerson University in Toronto. And last year she came into a conflict with the city of Toronto about her yard. Well, that is an interesting story because I have lived at our house there on Hillcrest now for five years, and we've had what many people would call a natural garden for almost that entire time. Lister's garden is colorful, lush, and holds more than 100 species. There's a mix of about every kind of plant you can imagine. When we moved to the house, it, it sits on the southwest-facing slope, so it's quite lovely. The property's really very magical, I would say. It faces southwest on a corner lot, so it has a kind of wraparound yard that includes a number of mature trees. Some trees were dying when we moved in. It has an old fruit orchard, actually. There were apricot trees and pear trees, as well as a peach tree that were in varying states of decay. Fruit trees don't always live that long. And they had split and fallen, so we took some of them down, replanted others. And as a matter of fact, we've replanted more than 20 trees now, 20 native trees, including bur oaks and red maples, ginkgos, katsura trees, magnolias, lots of different species. Lister's decision to redo her lawn and plant native flora was partly because of the gradient of their yard, which made it hard to mow. We long ago decided who would push a mower up and down a hill that's 30% grade. Um, neither of us are mountain goats, and it seemed kind of silly to be pushing a mower up and down this hill. So we decided that with the tree canopy opened and younger trees planted, it made sense to have a natural meadow. Lister's approach was far from careless. She placed all her plants according to the microenvironments in her yard. We started by removing a lot of what was patchy lawn anyway because of the angle. It's quite steep slope and very hot in the summer, exposed and dry. Uh, we had a lot of compost and basically we brought in plants from our farm, which is outside Toronto, and from what we do, things called roadside rescue. When roads are being expanded or a project is going in in my lab, we often will rescue plants. And so there are a lot of native species on this slope that are not grass and are not weeds. Last summer, Lister learned that her carefully curated native plant garden was getting her in trouble with the law. And back in August, uh, there was a knock at the door and my son answered and a bylaw officer was standing there. And she said, can I speak to your parents? And my son said, well, I'm here and he's almost an adult. And he said, what can I do for you? And they said, well, we've received numerous complaints that your grass is too long. You have to cut it and you have to remove the weeds. And my son looked at the, the front yard and he said, what, which weeds? And the bylaw officer said, can I speak to your parents, please? <laughs> uh, and he said, are you sure you want to do that? And he took the card and then gave it to me. So I had to write a letter and I said, I think there must be some mistake. We have a natural meadow. We don't have any grass or weeds that is usual to the neighborhood. What do you mean by grass and which weeds are you talking about? And I got no response. I, what I did get, actually, that's not true. I got a response and the response was that they was an automated response that said, I'm sorry, we can't answer your email because we have a very high volume of emails that concern the pandemic and we're very busy responding to emergency health issues in the global pandemic, which I thought was a very good use of city money and resources. 
So that made sense to me. I didn't know why they would be sending somebody to my house. So that was how it started. The case did not end there. Yeah, so that's the last you heard with that automated response? No, I emailed again and said, could you please tell me, um, am I being charged with a violation? And I heard nothing back. And then a bylaw officer called me and said, oh, um, yes, well, I understand you're saying you have a meadow. Well, I don't, I can't identify any plants or weeds. And I said, well, how could you enforce the bylaw then? And the officer became quite defensive, understandably, and said, well, I'm just doing my job. and I'm just telling you, you have to cut your grass. Going to intervene here and say that Lister, as an ecologist, was also doing her job. But back to the bylaw officer. I, I repeated, I said, well, I don't have any grass. And the officer said, well, I can't identify any plants. I said, well, that's kind of a problem if you're telling me that I have to remove the weeds. Which ones are they? And she said, well, I can't tell you. I can just tell you you have to cut everything. And I said, well, uh, I won't be doing that. And I don't think I have to. I've read the weed bylaw and I don't have any noxious weeds and I don't have any grass, so I'm not going to cut anything. And then the officer said, well, we do have an exemption. You could apply for an exemption. There's some forms you have to fill out and the garden has to be inspected by the city horticulturalist. And I said, I don't think I want the exemption because my garden is not, in, in fact, unusual. It's actually quite a normal yard and I think I can just keep it. And the bylaw officer was quite clear that I needed to apply for an exemption. I thanked her and I hung up. Lister decided to go up the chain of command. Then I once again sent another email, this time to my counselor, to the rest of city council and to the mayor's office. And I said, I, I have looked at the bylaw. We're not actually outside the bylaw. In fact, your bylaw is a problem because it's actually a person's constitutional right to have any yard that they believe expresses their environmental beliefs. That's a charter right. It was won at the Ontario Superior Court thanks to a case by Sandy Bell in 1996. And notwithstanding that argument, the city uh, didn't respond except to say on over Twitter and social media, some very well-meaning kind counselors reached out to me to say, you know, you can apply for an exemption. And I said, yeah, but actually, the more I think about it, the more I believe this garden is not actually an aberration. It's actually exactly what the city of Toronto is asking us as citizens to do. And the reason for that is that the city of Toronto has a very forward thinking and very progressive biodiversity strategy. And they also have a pollinator strategy in which the city of Toronto on public lands supports and advocates for a diverse uh, set of species, pollinating plants, for example, host plants for the monarch butterfly common milkweed, and they say this in very progressive policies. And I knew this because I had actually been asked to sit as uh, an advisory member to the city's biodiversity strategy committee. And I remember Action 12 very clearly, and that is an action that encourages the city to revise its bylaws that uh, punish people for having grass and weeds, and that that needs further clarity. So I reminded the city that they had this, and I said, I'm, I'm not applying for an exemption. I'm telling you, you need to reform your bylaw. And that's where I decided that I would go public with this. Lawns are better for the environment than a slab of concrete, but not by much. They require a lot of chemical fertilizers, which have a huge carbon footprint and lots of water. We Westerners have chosen only a few grass species to grace all of our yards. I spoke to Simon Cholet, assistant professor at the Université d'Ibrin, about the problem with all this. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, there is lots of problems with loans. Uh, I mean, from the biodiversity point of view, at least it's pretty poor. The fact is that we have in urban habitats or cities, we are usually developing lots of loan everywhere all around the world. It's just basically the same five or ten species that in lands and you lose all the diversity that you have usually in meadows or grasslands. Well, for an ecologist, it's actually the, the main problem. So we have basically no diversity in it. I actually, why exactly we chose so few species to make up our lawns? We are seeding everywhere the same species, more or less. Because like in a lawn, you have a kind of really strong management, always the same, like a really, really high frequency of mowing. And this makes that only few species could resist to such a intensive mowing frequency. So you lose most of the grass species and most of the forb species also. You don't only have grasses, usually in grassland or in meadows. You have lots of kind of type of uh, flowering plants, which are usually growing, but you lose all of them by mowing really intensively. And so because you lose this, you lose also all the insects and other animals which could depend on this plant species. So basically in a lawn, you have few plant species, but you also have few insects, few everything, <laughs> mammals, birds using it. Nothing is living in it. It's, it's more or less like a desert, biologically speaking. This is particularly strange because like in a meadow or grassland, it's usually in naturally uh, occurring one. It's really biodiverse ecosystems. Like they are really full of species usually. So it's a bit of pity in a city to, to keep only five to 10 species when you could have basically 50 species or 60 or hundreds maybe. Cholet did this research in France about transitioning urban lawns to more life-generating urban meadows. This experiment is actually, it, it was not planned as a scientific experiment. In the city of Rennes, so in western France, the municipality was trying to find a solution to improve the diversity in lawns and also to reduce the cost of management. And so they basically decide to say, okay, if we cut less of the grass, probably we will, it will be less wrong for biodiversity, but it was not even the first goal. It was also to reduce the cost of just to have less uh, people working there and also less cost for the gas for all the engine you need to cut this grass. And so they begin to do that already in the 90s. So at the time where in France, it was pretty, I, I would say, not the main topic, biodiversity and everything. Like the, te the term biodiversity was not even existing at the time. So basically, the, the city was just thinking, oh, yeah, maybe it would be okay to do it like that. 25 years later, uh, when with one colleague, we were thinking, hey, maybe it could be a nice experiment to just look what... 25 years of not cutting the grass too often have made for biodiversity. And so we just use this natural experiment instead of designing a new experiment and waiting 25 years, because in a lot of cities of the world, people were beginning since the 2010 or something to have questions about this. But so each time they need to set a new experiment, it takes years before you have the answer because the plants are growing slowly and everything. And so for us, it was pretty cool because we don't have to wait. So we could directly have the result in only one year. So that was the, the main idea. And finally, we found that there is a really huge difference 
After 25 years, you go from some few species in weekly mound loans to 50 to 60 species in two times per year mound loans. So meadows, so we call it so meadows because they no more look like loans at all. All the species that you have usually in a loan have disappeared and you have only some new species. And it looked like much more what we found here in Brittany in the countryside. And even these grasslands are nearly better than the one we found in the countryside because also in the countryside, agriculture uh, intensity increased quite a few in the last 20 years or something. And so finally, it's a bit paradoxical because we have now in the cities nearly the best meadows all around, which is not where you should find theoretically like biodiverse habitat, but we found them in the city and no more in the countryside because of uh, intensification of agriculture. I asked Cholet what he would say to Lister about her fight with Toronto. <laughs> but she could continue to fight. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy to think that uh, in 2021, we could still have problem to understand some... It costs nothing to let grow the plant. Like, it's pretty easy. We know now that we are in the sixth uh, global extinction crisis. We have huge trouble with biodiversity and climate change. And... It's so easy to do some little thing like this, like letting growing the plants, and it costs nothing. So if we are not even able to make that in such case, we have biodiversity. <laughs> I'm really depressed to see that because like there is much harder challenge to do. <laughs> and but yeah, if we don't even manage to do some little ones like that, like just okay, it's it's pretty easy, but we, we have actually the same problem in France. We don't have a law which makes that it's not legal to let the plant grow, but we have a lot of social acceptance problems, like a lot of people don't want to see and find that it's messy and that. So, but hopefully I have the feeling that uh, more and more people are realizing that spontaneity in natural process could be also interesting. And finally, after some few years, people begin to don't care anymore. Like they let the plant grow as there. I, I do have work also on uh, plants on pavements. So because we are managing all the plants on pavement because we don't want that plants grow on pavement because it's not supposed to be an habitat for them. But finally, I we, we realized with a colleague doing a kind of a huge survey uh, a bit everywhere in France, that finally, after some few years, people just don't care anymore and find it okay to have plants everywhere and they don't even realize that there is plant growing on the pavement, so, which means that finally it's just the change which is hard. When you when it looks like all the lawns are ready, all cut at a three centimeter high, people will think, oh yeah, it looks messy when there is a bit more diversity. But if everybody begins to do it for three years, everybody will forget that <laughs> only a short time before we had like loans cut at three centimeters. So for this ecologist in Toronto, I just hope that actually, I am pretty sure actually that she's making that people get used to spontaneity also in a city where like, yeah, for sure, the city are designed for humans and we usually don't think that it's the place for spontaneity, spontaneous nature. But I'm pretty convinced that it's a cool place for it, actually, because it, it's where people are living, working. There is a lot of people in cities. So if these ones, if these people get used to spontaneous nature, we have a chance maybe to change something out of the city also, where there is probably more important fight to do for biodiversity. 
I followed up with Lister over email before I published this episode, and she had good news. She's collaborating with her graduate student, Carly Murphy, the City of Toronto, and other experts on the revisions to Chapter 489 of Toronto's Municipal Code, also known as the Grass and Weeds Bylaw. It will go before the City of Toronto's Planning and Housing Committee for discussion later this month. Lister said via email that we hope the Planning and Housing Committee of Toronto City Council will refer the matter back to the staff for further work. As you can see from our experts letter I shared earlier, the spirit and intent are in the right direction, but the devil is, as they say in the details, and there is lots of work to refine and improve still to be done, especially around enforcement. I have really exciting news this week, which is that I made Plant Crimes hats. They're available on the $10 tier on my Patreon, or if you don't want to deal with Patreon, fair, you can buy them through the Plant Crimes website, and they're $35 that way. Plant Crimes was written and produced by me, Ellen Earhart. If you like this episode, please subscribe and tell people about it through a review. This month's episode pictures were taken by Nina Marie Lister. Plant Crimes art is by Nikki Duong. Intro music by Docs and Zygmunt. And theme song and outro music by APM. If you want me to investigate a plant crime or you would like to advertise on the show, please get in touch via email at plantcrimes at gmail.com. Plant underscore crimes on Twitter. Plant Crimes on Facebook or at Ellen Earhart on Instagram. <laughs>